Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm going to have a great hour. Jeff Redorn is with me, and he is my friend and Bible mentor, and I just love him. And we're going to talk about the gospel today. It's going to be great. And Jeff, uh, welcome back. Hi, Bill. It's nice to have you. It's good to see you, as always. Good to see you again. Yeah. Great to be, be back here. I agree. So we're going to talk about the gospel today, but I think before we get to that, uh, there sure is a lot of discussion over that little piece of cloth going over our mouths <laughs> and noses. There sure is. So as as you know, and as everybody in Minnesota knows, the governor announced um, last week and starting last Saturday that uh, masks are required indoors in all public spaces. So churches actually have kind of an interesting, I've gotten a lot of questions from a lot of folks, a lot of Christians talking about what their church is doing, how should we view Mass, and so on. I just find this whole question just so fascinating. I, uh, somebody sent me an email from a pastor in, in Ohio that says, and he says this, their church said, we're not going to wear masks. We're going to ignore the order and not wear masks in our church. And he says, we understand the duty imposed to us by Romans 13. Uh, we believe that the passages do not call for blind automatic acquiescence when the secular government overreaches into the church business and the authority that God has vested in the civic rulers extends to the oversight and protection of the civic peace and the well-being of the people. We believe, therefore, government officials have no right to interfere with ecclesiastical matters. In other words, they're saying the government doesn't have any business in declaring to us what we do inside of our church. That's church authority and Mm. church business, not governmental authority. Interesting. Yeah. Some churches, however, that I've talked to, we were just talking before, uh, when we went on air, have mandated mass, uh, just as the governor has said, and said we're requiring mass throughout the whole service. And then uh, some other churches have said, well, you need to wear your mask as you come in the front door, but once you get into your seat, kind of like some of the healthcare our health clubs are doing, once you get to your exercise equipment, you can take them off. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's appropriate for someone in a in a workout facility, that's okay for us. And that's what they're doing. You know, I, I'm not going to answer this question, by the way. You know, that's way above my pay grade. Right. Well, I'm going to let the local churches decide how they're going right. to decide and interpret God's word for their particular part of their body of the church. Personally, you know, I don't I don't like wearing the mask, right? But if I now, if I want to go into a store or if I want to go into my church, uh, the government says I need to wear a mask, so I'm going to do it. I don't, you know, I think a lot of Christians are rebelling against the mask, not because of safety and the virus and so on, but I think they see it as a symbol of something much bigger than this virus. And I don't disagree with them. Um, But I just think our view personally, if your neighbor who was maybe elderly and asked you to come over and help them. And they said, yeah, but would you wear a mask? I mean, I, I don't, I think every Christian that I know would say, absolutely. I would, I'll wear a mask. I'll wear gloves. I'll wear a hazmat suit to come over to help you. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So that's my, 
personal opinion, but this question actually came up, not about mass, but about whether or not we as the church need to obey God or man. So back in Acts chapter 5, 2,000 years ago, the the apostles faced this question. And I want to just read a little bit of this from Acts chapter 5, if that's okay. Please. Starting in verse 17, it says this, Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in jail. But during the night, an angel came to them and broke them out and said, Go into the temple courts and tell all the people about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people again. Well, here's the problem. They still didn't like the fact that they were teaching in this name, and so they arrested them again. Jumping down to verse 28, they, they say to the apostles, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other rep- other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. But what was the issue here? The issue wasn't about masks or anything else kind of in in how we live in this world. This was the issue of whether or not they were going to preach in the name of Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin wanted to kill these guys, right? And fortunately, there was this Pharisee that spoke up and he gave this impassioned speech of basically saying, how do you know this isn't from God, guys? You better watch out. And so they called the apostles. They had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer. And then it says in verse 41, and the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace in their name. Bill, is that your first response when you get flogged? Is Not really. Go, Should go be, though. Skipping down the street yeah. rejoicing? Yeah. Should be, but it's not. No, I know. Mine either. And then in verse 42, what's the conclusion of this? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So today, we wanted to talk about this good news. What were they flogged over? What does the good news mean? In the Greek, that word in the Greek actually for the gospel actually means good news or good message. Um, so, but what is it? What's the good news? I've actually asked when I've taught young, younger folks, high school kids, what is the gospel? And this is Christian worldview kind of classes. And I've, I've been amazed actually at how few we're able to come back and articulate what the gospel is. Some say it's about sharing your faith, and there's nothing wrong with sharing your faith. But we know what the definition, if you will, of the gospel is, because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us, right? Mm -hmm. He tells us what that gospel is. So he says, for what I received, I pass on to you a first import, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures— that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter and to the twelve and so on and to many faithful witnesses. And so we have four different components of this gospel that Paul says he received. Number one, that Christ died for sins. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, so as it was prophesied. 
and then he appeared. People saw him. So today we were, we're going to break this down and talk about all of these components. This is the message that the early church preached to the world. This is the message that in Acts chapter 5 we see that they kept preaching in the temple courts, even after being flogged. And I want to note a couple things about this message, because we always get a little nervous about preaching the gospel to others, right? And God says specifically of this message, the gospel message, I love this, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says that God promises his power and deep conviction of the Holy Spirit whenever we preach the gospel. So really, who's doing the heavy lifting in this conversation? Right? Not us. Not us. <laughs> we're, we're just the messenger. It's God that comes alongside the Holy Spirit that comes alongside with power and deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's this message by which we are saved, Scripture says, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. So this sounds like a pretty important message that we should be proclaiming and getting out to the world, right? Mm-hmm. In addition, Romans 10 says that this unique power must be heard in order to believe. So here's the sequence that's all over Scripture. How then can they believe in the one that they've not heard of? How can they believe how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Seventeen, Romans ten, seventeen, consequently faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of God. Um, that's how important this gospel message is. Um, In fact, if you turn to Acts, there are seven great speeches in the book of Acts, seven great kind of uh, 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 narrations that the apostles give, Peter gives, that Paul gives, whoever, in Acts throughout the book of Acts. The first one, obviously, is in Acts chapter 2, when Peter at Pentecost says that this gospel, which needs to be accepted, is the belief that Jesus, who did not see decay, he says, right, which is a prophecy back in Psalm uh, Psalm 16, but rose again from the dead. What was he preaching in Acts chapter 2? The central message of his great speech was the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is before the onlookers, and in verse 15 he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to that. What is that? That, once again, is the gospel. And he says you can have complete healing if you just believe in him. I think he's speaking of salvation, even though the guy that was healed there was physically healed. I think he's speaking of our spiritual healing, our salvation. We have Stephen. Number three is Stephen before he is stoned in Acts chapter Seven. He gives this long history of Israel and how God has been faithful to Israel throughout all of its history and says he's promised this Messiah to come. And then the Messiah comes, and then you killed him, and then, well, they stoned him, right? Mm-hmm. So he's about to tell them about this gospel, that you killed him, and yet he rose again. Peter at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 talks about God raising him from the dead and that everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sin. Paul in the synagogue in Acts uh, 13, uh, he says that Christ has been raised. We are witnesses to it. This is good news. And this message is available to 
everyone who believes. Acts 17, Paul is in front of the crowd at Athens, at Mars Hill. We were actually in Athens a few years back, and I got to go right below the Acropolis, right in Athens, is Mars Hill. And there's this great big plaque commemorating this scene from Acts 17. One of the highlights of any trip I've ever been on, and I got to read it and do a little teaching with my kids and a family that was was there about Paul teaching uh, to the men at Athens. And uh, he says, but God raised this Christ from the dead, and they sneered at him, it says. Some wanted to hear more, but others sneered at him. And by the way, we're going to get, we will get the same response. Yeah, and Rebecca's sneering at me because we have to take a break. Okay. So we'll take a little break. Uh, Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Jeff Redorn, my friend and Bible mentor, and we're getting into the gospel today. I love it. So, where do we pick up, Jeff? Well, the seventh great speech oh, yeah. in Acts, so we covered six already, and that's Paul before King Agrippa in Acts 26. And um, he tells King Agrippa that uh, Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, and King Agrippa thought he was crazy. He says, Paul, do you think you can make me be a Christian this quick? And really thought he kind of lost his mind. And I can tell you, you will come across folks when you start talking about the resurrection of the dead uh, who will think you are crazy. So uh, don't be surprised at the reactions you get when you preach this message. But this was Paul's MO. It really was the apostles' MO. Uh, Acts full of descriptions. The book of Acts is full of description that Paul preached in the synagogues. He proclaimed the word. He reasoned with them from the scripture, trying to prove that Jesus was the Christ. He spoke boldly. He explained. He preached. This was the primary message, was the resurrection of the dead. Um, Of which, by the way, if you go on further in 1 Corinthians 15, um, it actually explains that Uh, Without the resurrection, this starts in about verse 12 or so, without the resurrection of the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, then we also won't be raised, and we're still dead in our trespasses and sins, right? So Christ is risen indeed, uh, around verse 20 of Acts 15. Um, And the great promise, uh, you know, I'm an end times teacher, I love all the things end times. One of the great promises that then First Corinthians goes into is it describes the gospel, it describes the importance of the resurrection and how central it is to all of Christianity, because if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And then he says, says later in the chapter, if Christ has been raised, so we too will be raised. We will receive a glorified body just like Christ. Isn't that great news? That's pretty good news. I love hearing that. Being reminded of that, I should say. I've heard that before. Yes. (laughs) And the day that we receive that is, I believe, the rapture of the church. When the dead in Christ rise first, then we receive our glorified bodies, and that's resurrection day. That's the day that we receive 
our glorified body at the rapture. So, um, look, this is the message that uh, the Bible says we are to be ambassadors holding out this word to make his, uh, his appeal to us. We're to be fishermen. You know, these metaphors in Scripture, we're come, uh, I will make you fishers of men. We are to be witnesses of his resurrection. We are to be good soldiers. Um, we are to be firefighters, snatching others from the fires and save them, Jude says. Troublemakers. Ooh, I like this one. Troublemakers. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, Acts 17 says. We're farmers. We sow the seeds. We're newscasters. We're supposed to proclaim the good news. We're workers of the field, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers are few. We're pro- proclaimers and so on and so forth. So Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. I have made myself a slave to everyone to min- win as many as possible. To the Jews, I came like the Jews. To those under the law, I came like one under the law, and so on. I became all things to all people. By, by all possible means, I might save some. So you can just sense from Paul that this, this was his mission. That's what he was concerned with was proclaiming this message of the resurrection of Christ, the gospel, which is the power of salvation. So, I know that it's hard. Um, You know, I think there's a couple reasons why people don't share the gospel more. Um, I think one of those reasons is that people don't feel equipped. Mm-hmm. I don't think they feel like, well, what if they ask a really hard question? Or they get, they get you in a gotcha question. Yeah. And there's some of these gotcha questions that Christians like the problem of evil. We've talked about this on your show. Well, if, if your God is so great, why does he allow evil? Why yeah. are kids dying? Why did my mother die of right, cancer? Right, right, right. All these questions that maybe they just don't feel prepared and equipped to do, to, to answer those. The, the answer is we have really good answers to these from a biblical pers- perspective, right? From a biblical worldview, there's this thing called this, the fall, and there's a lot of bad things happen. We live in a fallen world with fallen people and, and so on. The other reason I don't think people proclaim God is they don't feel worthy. You know, God says that he's made us righteous and holy in his eyes, but we tend not to live out perfectly are calling to live those holy separated lives. And so we feel a little bit like, well, I'm always falling short. I don't live up to the word of God and I don't feel worthy enough mm, to preach the gospel. And I think that's, there's probably lots of reasons why people are afraid. I've heard, seen stats that less than 5% of Christians actually have shared this gospel message with someone who they believe is not saved. That's we should, that should be 95%. Yeah. Another thing, Jeff, I'll say is people don't have enough practice because if you practice something, you're going to get better at handling objections and dealing with people that are going to say things that would normally shut you down after you deal with them four or five times. You're not quite as nervous. Absolutely. You know, and you know, when you're in normal conversation with people, there, Christians are dealing with this whole COVID thing, I think, differently than unbelievers are. And we have to, you know, there's this peace that surpasses all understanding that, that comes over Christians, right? And, I, you know, so when someone is asking, hey, Bill, how do you have, you don't seem to be all, all worried about this. You know, why? Oh, man, you know, as my friend Dave says, I perceive this to be a witnessing opportunity. 
<laughs> tell them about the hope that you have in God. It's like, right. you know what? I trust in this God, and I know he has tomorrow in his hands, so I'm not going to worry about today, right? But we do, So we can prepare ourselves. What you just said, there are many tools. You can have gospel tracts, uh, you know, that you carry with you. Um, you there's uh, some friend, a friend of mine carries around this thing called My Story, and it's like, he just asks people, do you mind if I tell you my story? And he basically says, I've been lost. I was lost in college. I was searching the world. I was trying to f- find fame and a- athletics and so on. And then someone preached Christ to me and I got saved. And, you know, now here's what my life is like. Mm. And he just hands it to them and says, here's my story. Will you read Interesting. it? Um, or any gospel track. There's a little diagram called the bridge diagram, if you've ever seen that, where man is on one side, God is on another and that sin separates it, mm-hmm. you know, and that great chasm. Yeah. Um, you, you, like you said, train yourself. Uh, know these tools. Know the verses, right? If if all the if the only verse you know is for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, great start. But there's a few others, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. You know, but the gift of God is eternal life. Know the Romans road. That's right. an, another uh, document. We've actually done the Romans yeah, Road on fantastic. your show. Yeah. And it's about 10 or ten or so passages from Romans that walk a person through from their sin and being reconciled to God and salvation and so on. It's a great way to equip yourself uh, to share the gospel with somebody. Mm-hmm. So, so now, to 1 Corinthians 15 and to this chart. So this chart that... I haven't. I know you have it in front of you over there. Is basically the gospel message, and then for each one of the components, we have subtopics. Did I say the word chart? You did say the word chart. You're just ruining my whole night. Sorry. And and there's subtopics then underneath each one of these that I just thought we'd spend a couple minutes on on each of these subtopics. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Now keep in mind we've got 90 seconds before we go to a hard break. So. Oh, okay. So let's pace yourself accordingly. So the the grand message is for what I received, Paul says, I pass on to you a first account that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried, he was raised on the third day, and he appeared, right? So those are the four components. So the first one is Paul received it. Paul received it. Now, it's interesting because Paul actually calls this my gospel several times, right? And it's like, well, Paul, why are you calling it your gospel if you received it? But he says that he received it. The gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we want to come back and we'll talk about how he received. That'd be great. All right. We'll That'd see be great. when we get back. Jeff Verdorn is my guest, and he is famous for his charts. They're, they're very good. And he has one today, and I say that very cautiously because I know it will ruin my night in terms of Hours and hours of sending out charts, but I love it. So if you want one of his charts, all you have to do is uh, send me an email, bill at myfaithradio.com, and just put Jeff's chart or chart in the subject line, and I'll get it out to you. I would be more than happy to. As a matter of fact, it would make my night to do it. (laughs) So again, uh, bill at myfaithradio.com. Just put uh, chart or Jeff's chart, and we'll all get it off to you. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Really nice to have Jeff Redorn here with me. We're talking about the gospel today. He's got an amazing chart, and we're going to start going through it right now. I will be able to get a copy in your hands in the next day. If you want a copy of this, just let me know. All you have to do is email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Just put chart, and I'll know it's you, and I'll send it to you. All right, Jeff, where do we pick up? Cool. So we were talking about what Paul received. Um, Ephesians 3.3 3 says that the mystery made known to me by revelation. And uh, so where was or when was this revelation? Well, do you remember the story of Paul when he is, uh, he says in Corinthians that he says he knows a man, he's talking about himself, who was caught up to the third heaven and heard inexpressible things, things that a man was not permitted to tell. And cross-reference that to Acts 14, where he's stoned and left for dead, right? And I actually think that's the moment when Paul got caught up to heaven and and saw all these amazing revelations. And I think that's where potentially uh, that Paul received this revelation from God, because he makes it clear this was not just made up by men, but it came from God by revelation. Um so that's the revelation. That's what Paul received that he passes on to us of first import. I love that. This was the core mission of the church, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So here's the second component of the gospel message. Um, and obviously, this is, what, this is what the cross is all about, that Christ died for our sins. Now, remember, there's two kind of subtopics over to the left here because I want to make sure that everybody understands that Jesus was just not a man. Any man that's born uh, like all of us have been born would not be capable of dying for the sins of the world. And that's why it's so critical that Jesus was born of the virgin. He didn't come from the seed of man, but from God. In fact, he's called the Son of God, the one from heaven. He came from heaven, John 3, uh, 3 says. Uh, the Son of Man ascended to where he was before. He says, I am from the above. I came from the Father, John 16. So clearly Jesus preexisted his birth and is the eternal God, the Son, the Son of God. The only other person in Scripture who's called the Son of God is Adam, remember? In the genealogy, it goes all the way back, you know, Adam, son of God, because Adam was not born, right? Adam was made by God. Jesus's body, his body in the womb of the virgin, was made by God. That's what makes him a son of God. So with that, he's from heaven, and just as important, he was therefore without sin. Because if he would have been born in the normal way, he would have inherited Adam's sin. For in Adam, we all died, right? He would have inherited that. He didn't because he came from God. His body was prepared for him, it says, in the womb of the virgin. So this topic that he was without sin is declared a number of places. My favorite one is, you know, behold, what does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Well, that harkens right back to the Passover and the Passover lamb, and that they put their sins on the lamb, and the death passed over them, you know, from the first Passover, and all that imagery you know, the Jews should have recognized that. But in 2 Corinthians 5, for example, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. First Peter says that he was the lamb without blemish or defect. That was precisely kind of the language that was the requirement for the lamb for the Passover, right? To be a year old without blemish or defect. 
First uh, Peter two says he committed no sins. First Peter three says he was the righteous that died for the unrighteous, so he didn't have any sin in him, uh, and so on. He's blameless. He was unblemished for God. Um, even the the uh, in, in Luke 23, it says, but this man has done nothing wrong. And it's like, yeah, that's because he was out without sin. Mm-hmm. Now, Scripture says he was tempted in every way, right, yet was without sin. He's the only one that's ever walked the face of the earth who lived by perfect faith without sin. And so he could, the next subtopic, die for the sins of the world. So once again, we have this this concept that, uh, like, for example, Romans 4 says that he was delivered over to death for our sins. Romans 5 says it this way. You see, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians says it this way. He gave himself up for our sins. Um, 1 Peter 3 says, I love it. In this description, it says, Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And remember that part where it says he died for sins according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what Isaiah 53 says, that he was pierced. He would be this Christ who has come, would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5. The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all, verse 6. And verse 12 says that he bore the sins of many. That's that great chapter, Isaiah 53, that talks about the coming Messiah who would die for the sins of the world, pierced for our transgressions. So this concept, um, man doesn't have a sin problem anymore. Okay? What do I mean by that? Christ died for the sins of the world. Do you remember we've talked about this on your show where we've talked about the story of George Wilson? Yeah. Right? That God has offered this pardon to the world. He died for the sins. He has pardoned the world of sin. And now he says, whosoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? So man doesn't have a sin problem as much as that they have a belief problem. Men don't go to heaven and go to hell because they don't believe. And that's exactly what Thessalonians says, actually. They perish because they refused to love the truth and thus be saved. It, sin's not their problem. Unbelief is their mm-hmm. problem. Unbelief of the gospel. So that's sin. Pretty big issue. Huge issue. Yeah. That he is the... You know, that, that story, and I, I, we don't have time, but I wish I could tell that George Wilson story all over again. God is because it's such a perfect picture of God pardoning the world, offering that pardon to whosoever, and whoever accepts it is saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so next part of the passage says that he was buried. Well, we know the, the narrative. Uh, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in linen cloth, and put it in a tomb, and they rolled a big stone in front of it. Um, just a little thing on first century, you know, Jewish burial practices. This was their practice. They would put the body into a tomb. And they'd roll a stone in front of it. They'd let, you know, the decay process happen. And once the body was fully decayed, they would go back into the tomb. They would gather up the bones and put them in the, in a stone box called an ossuary. And that ossuary would then be placed in another tomb, a different tomb. 
Um, and that was kind of the burial process. Um, so that's that's why, by the way, the tomb had the rolling stone because they would be have to get in and and out. So he was buried. He was dead. I know that some say, well, maybe he wasn't dead and he actually just revived. And it's like, no, no, no. If you understand medically what happened to Christ on the cross, you know 100% positive that he was dead. And then it says this. Did, Bill, did you, uh, did you uh, cite the Apostles' Creed when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. Did you? You bet. So there's that part where it says, uh, he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then on the third day, rose from the grave. Well, I think that's a... It's, in English, we just don't get it. I think that a better Apostles' Creed, not that I'm going to change the Apostles' Creed, he's been for <laughs> around for a long time, but he descended, actually, Scripture says, to Hades. Hades is translated hell in many English Bibles. And so we use Hades and hell kind of interchangeably, and I think that's too bad because Scripture actually says that where was Jesus for those three days? And many believe that he went to hell. And and I remember growing up as a kid thinking, well, why did Jesus have to go to hell? Why would a righteous Christ, the Messiah, have to go to hell? And the answer is he didn't go to hell. He went to Hades. And Hades, which we've talked about also on your show, has those two sides to it, remember? One side, remember in Luke um, chapter oh, 16, I believe, where mm-hmm. the rich man and Lazarus descend. They both go to Hades. One's in comfort and one's in torment. Mm-hmm. So Hades has a good side called paradise or comfort mm-hmm. and a bad side called torment or in the flames, right? Well, which side do you think Jesus went to? The bad side the or paradise the paradise side? Of course he did. So when he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, that's the side of Hades that he was talking about. Now, in Scripture, Hades is always talked about in terms of being below, in the depths below, in the heart of the earth. And that's why we think of it as down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a spiritual place. So I don't know where it is physically, but it's that's how it's described in Scripture. But Scripture says that he... Do you remember when David said, don't abandon me in the grave? And and God basically says, no, I won't. Well, that's where David was. David was in the paradise side of Hades. But then the picture is, is that when Christ rose, he sets the captives free. All those on the paradise side of Hades are brought up to heaven and are now in the paradise of God. So, Uh, Paul says, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven, the paradise of God. So now paradise is in heaven. So if a believer dies today, where do they go? Well, we know. Paul says specifically, absent from the body, at home with the Lord, in paradise, in heaven, with Christ. Uh, So we know that for certain. So that paradise side of Hades, down in the depths below, is empty. And one last question, just to kind of make this clear. Why do you suppose God had to put the righteous in Hades and hold them there before the cross? I mean, what was the purpose of it? See what I'm saying? So before the cross, Mm -hmm. the lamb's blood hadn't been shed yet, right? So nobody in the Old Testament received that cleansing of by the blood of the lamb like we do post-cross. So... They were held there until the lamb was sacrificed. Then they were able to go up into the presence of God in heaven. 
And that's exactly where all believers continue to go today. So he was buried, descended into hell, and then rose on the third day. Now, a little side note here, because it's actually very interesting to me that, remember after he rose, the apostles were kind of scared. They fled. You know, Peter denied him. They didn't know what was going on. Remember the three men on the road to Emmaus? Mm-hmm. It's like, man, you know, our whole world has been thrown upside down. And besides, it's been three days and there's nothing going on and stuff. Well, they knew Jesus told them. I have a whole list of all the places where Jesus told his followers that from this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He told them again and again and again and again. I have a whole list of them. It's dozens long Mm -hmm. where he told them that this, and remember when that when Mary comes to the tomb and the angel's there, he has risen just as he said. They should have known. If the- Mary came looking for the wrong Jesus, didn't she? That Jesus was risen, and Mary was looking for the dead Jesus. She was looking for her physical Jesus right, back, wasn't right. she? Yeah, she was. And that's remember where she, Jesus says, "Don't cling to me." Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what that passage is all about. It's like oh, Mary, you're you're clinging to the physical Jesus. You think you have me back, but I'm the risen Jesus who's going to go ascend to the Father mm-hmm. 40 days from now. So that's awesome. I think that's exactly right. But it's cool because he tells them over and over again that on the third day he will rise. I will lay down my life only to take it up again. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again after three days. So he told them over and over and over. Okay, how are you pacing yourself? Can I take a break? Yes, take okay, a break. Good. Yeah, we got 15 minutes. We okay, got good. Jeff Verdorn's my guest. He's got this wonderful chart. If you'd like a copy, just uh, email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. I'll get it right out to you, bill at myfaithradio.com. Just in the subject line, put Jeff's chart or chart, and we'll get it to you. Be right back. Get your troubles and just get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Sing hallelujah. Come on, get happy. All right, we're get back with Jeff Redorn, and we're talking about the, sun the gospel, loving this. All right, Jeff, you got another 12 minutes. Get going. 12 minutes. Um, <laughs> to, let's wrap up this that... Uh, hmm. uh, that he was buried. I, I love the... Jesus says, I'll give you one more sign just as... Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, right? That's in Hades, uh, just like Jonah. You know, there's so many ways that the Old Testament creates not only direct prophecies, but pictures, indirect prophecies, symbolic prophecies. Uh, And this one of Jonah is a picture of what would happen to Christ for three days and three nights, right? But he didn't stay there. Ah, this is the good news. He did not stay there, right? Mm-hmm. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. And three days later, he rose just as he said. So Matthew 28, he's risen. God raised him from the dead. 
Uh, Romans 4, 24, God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Uh, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, 1 Corinthians 6, 4. Um, it's fascinating that if you go through this, this subtopic here, you'll actually see there's several that says God raised him from the dead. And then, for example, in John two nineteen, it says Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again. And then in 1 Peter 3, it says that he, Jesus, was put to death by the body, but made alive or resurrected by the Spirit. Well, wait a minute here. So who raised Jesus? God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is yes, right? <laughs> All of them. It's kind of this, one of these uh, Trinity proofs, if you will that all are God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, because Scripture declares that all raised Jesus from the dead. And so Scripture says it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, if you look around at every other religious figure in all of history, all of them died and all of them are still in their graves. Christ is the only one who was raised from the dead. The first fruits right, of all creation, the first to be born unto glory. So he's the one who's been resurrected to his glorified body. That's what he then appeared when we get to the appearing part in the last part of the chapter here, or the the chart. Um, He appeared over a period of 40 days in his glorified body. And Scripture says that we will have a glorified body just like that. So we, we can glean maybe a little bit more about our glorified bodies by looking at his resurrect, uh, resurrection appearances. So like I said, uh, so it was about 10 days to Pentecost, 40 days that he appeared on earth before Acts chapter 1 where he rose up to heaven. So what are those appearances? Just really quick. So now some of these, there's some debate about which maybe this one is the same as this one or that one occurred before that one or whatever. But we have Mary Magdalene, like we said, at the garden. We have the other Mary um, and at least another woman after that. We have Simon uh, Simon Peter in Luke twenty four thirty four that he appears to. Uh, then he he's uh, on the road to Emmaus, right? And he's talking to these men, and and there's that line towards the end when they finally realize who he is. And he, his scripture says, and then he explained to him all the things that needed to happen about the Christ. It's like, but that conversation's not in scripture. It's like, oh, I wish that was in Scripture. I would have loved to have known how he explained all the Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And then right after that, he appears to his to the disciples in the upper room in a locked room, and yet Jesus in his resurrected body is able to go right into that room, just appear, and uh, they thought they you know saw a ghost that scared him. He says, do not be afraid, right? Um, and then again to the 11, including Thomas this time. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that story, Thomas wouldn't believe him that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. He says, I'm not going to believe until I see him with my own eyes. And sure enough, Jesus comes and he says to Thomas, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Put your hand here in my side and in my the holes in my hands. And uh, Thomas falls down before the Lord and says, my Lord and my God. Right? And he finally believes. And we, um, kind of like Thomas, we need to believe without seeing. Right? We have to rely on the testimony of Scripture. That's why this book is so important, because they all wrote down what they saw in Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then to the disciples on the Sea uh, of Galilee, you know, the fishing, uh, and then the uh, Mount Galilee, and then James, he appears to James, and then finally, in, at uh, you know, in Acts chapter 1, where he is speaking, and they say to him, Jesus, are you now going to establish your kingdom? And uh, he says, no, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he goes up to heaven bodily, physically, visibly. And uh, if you remember the narrative, the two angels come and say, men of Galilee, what are you looking at? And I've always kind of thought that's kind of an odd question. It's like, well, what do you mean? What are we looking at? Jesus just went up to heaven and was <laughs> hit by the clouds. That's, mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. But he, was, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, and over 500 at one time. There is a, there is a testimony and a witness that many, many hundreds of people saw Jesus rise from the dead after his resurrection. Um, I think it's uh, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. He does an amazing job at documenting uh, some of the arguments against a physical resurrection and then obviously the arguments for the biblical narrative, uh, one of the most documented events in antiquity, that Christ rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with this message? of this resurrection, right? Um, We know on Easter what we do when the pastor says he is risen. And we say he is risen indeed, right? Uh, Did Paul and the apostles leave it to one day a year on on Easter? No. And so the kind of the last subtopic over here is that we are to go and preach this gospel. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, even to the end of the age. Uh, Acts 4, and the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Acts 4.20 is one of my favorites. The apostles says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Um, I, I, I don't mean to, I'm not going to disparage any evangelistic, um, you know, program or methodology or anything. But do you know what the first century um, methodology for preaching the gospel was, is taking their hand away from their mouth. We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. They couldn't help it. Yeah. And Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, if you have everlasting life through Him, through faith in Him, that's a really big deal. And you'd think that we as believers, and I'm talking to myself here right now too, right? That we as believers would be fearless in proclaiming it. Um, I mean, it's the most extravagant gift you'll receive. Ever. Ever. And why would you then not share with others that extravagant gift that you've received? Absolutely. I mean, if you got some other earthly little prize of some kind, some earthly reward, you tell everybody, right? I would. Yeah. Yeah. Win some medal or some big award or, you know, you tell everybody. You would. You'd, you'd, you'd hang it on your wall. Yeah. But here, the gift of salvation, the most extravagant gift you will receive, and you have to be like, is it Acts 4, 420? Acts 420. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Yeah. And 431 right after that, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, remember, Paul says, pray for me also that I might proclaim it fearlessly or boldly as I should. So even Paul 
asked for prayers from the people he knew that he might have the door open to him to make way for the gospel and that he might proclaim it boldly as we should. So don't forget, this is the, the, the resurrection of the dead. It's a big deal. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again, and he appeared to many. And that is the message that when you preach, God promises to come alongside of you with his power of the Spirit, uh, with power and deep conviction to convict. You don't have to worry about the results. You are just a messenger because that's the message that is the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes it. Mm, and that's my desire, that you cannot stop speaking about what you know to be true, which is your gift of salvation that you've received. Share it with others. Be fearless. Trust that the Holy Spirit will be there to give you the words and the opportunities, and uh, you will be obedient, and you will spread the good news. And when you see someone who's dead in their sins become alive in Christ, I don't know if there's anything more spectacular. Amen. Amen. Jeff, you're always wonderful. Thank you so much. Jeff does have a chart that of what we talked about today. If you'd like me to send you a copy of it, I'll email it to you. Send me an email, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. And just in the subject line, you can put Jeff's chart, and I'll get it off to you. That wraps up our show. I have loved this uh, two hours with you, so thank you for spending it, uh, part of it or all of it with me, and I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow around the same time. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.